Oh, I'm going to miss that intro, man. I'm going to miss it. Uh, did you put it together for our man, Matt Wieda? He made that thing, man. I love it. <clears throat> Easter's next week, so we won't be using that. And then after that, we start a brand new series called Fearless. And I want to impress upon you the importance of being here uh, after Easter. Uh, if you have any experience with dealing with fear in your life, anybody have experience with that? Okay, so we're going to spend six weeks talking about fear, so I encourage you to uh, be there for that. Um, today, today we're talking about another battle, and the battle that we're going to cover this morning is the battle of Jericho. You're going to find it in Joshua uh, chapter 5, verse 13, so you can start to turn there in your Bible. I hope you bring your Bible to church. I hope you do. I love that sound right there. I love it. You don't have to make it arbitrarily, Katie. It's not like... <laughs> don't tear your Bible. and then, you know. Not that the flick Bible on the phone is not you know, legitimate. It's still God's word. It's just not quite as anointed. Um, let me get a whole bunch of... People under 39 angry with me, but <clears throat> I'm an old school guy. While you turn there, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? And I don't want you to answer this question out loud. I want you to answer this question in your mind, all right? And be honest with yourself, all right? And be honest with yourself. Here is the question. What does it take? What does it take for me to question God's faithfulness to me? What does it take? Now, I'm just talking about even just the moments where you're, you're having a long night for one reason or another, and right away, just stuff starts falling apart, and you think to yourself, oh man, I just don't know if God's helping me right now. Just kind of that kind of thought process, right? Maybe you're sitting there listening to me, and you think, well, I've never questioned God's faithfulness to me. And if that's the case, then I want to congratulate you on your holiness, you have completed the course, and um, you don't have to listen today because you're off the hook. Uh, but for the rest of us, including myself, <clears throat> uh, this message is for you. If I'm going to answer that question, by the way, I think I would answer like this. I would say embarrassingly little. It takes kind of embarrassingly little for me to begin to question God's faithfulness in my life. Uh, it's so closely tied to circumstances and what happens and, and the ups and downs of every day. And, uh, and I got to be honest with you, sometimes it's my joy and my confidence in God's a little too closely tied to what happens. And when that's the case, I need a message like today. So I hope that this will be uh, helpful and encouraging to you. Uh, this is not necessarily um, the most profound thing you're going to hear all week long, but I hope it's a really good reminder, and it's today's main thing. I don't want you to miss it. Uh, God is more faithful than we can possibly imagine, okay? God is more faithful than we can possibly imagine. The moment that we begin to even slowly question, even just in the, the smallest way, Wonder if for a moment, maybe God forgot about me. Maybe he's not keeping track of me. Maybe he's not uh, caring for me at the level that he has cared for me in the past. At any 
moment, just like that, in that very moment, this is what you need to know, God is more faithful than you can possibly imagine, right? And that's the lesson we're going to learn today, strangely enough, through uh, the battle of Jericho. Uh, I've broken up this story into four parts, okay? I've put it in your notes, and we'll get them as we go along. Here is part number one, okay? Part number one is the question. Part number one is the question, and it starts in verse 13 of chapter 5. Now, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Okay, this is alarming. I want to set a little bit of context here after this verse. Uh, We are at the point in time where the Israelites have gone through 40 years in the wilderness, and now they are at the precipice. They are just about to get to the, excuse me, the promised land that God had promised them. Moses is gone. Joshua is now leading the crew, and kind of first up as the conquest begins is uh, right after crossing the Jordan is Jericho. Okay, Jericho, uh, big deal, big city, fortified. All of the stuff that the spies said they saw before they came into the land is true. And uh, just kind of right before all of this begins, we have this little encounter between Joshua and And a man, of course, we know who this man is, as we read along, uh, is the commander of the army of the Lord. And because he says, you should take off your sandals, we know that Joshua's encountering who? God. He's encountering God. That's that's who he's encountering. Uh, An angel would not say, worship me. Um, This is not what that is. He's He's encountering God. And I just want to put that little seed of thought in your mind before we read the next couple sentences. Okay. A man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, what do you think the answer should be? For us. This is who we're talking about. This is Israel, right? And that's Jericho. They're, 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 I thought judgment was upon them, right? Like this is what it is. And here's the answer. Neither. I'm sorry, let me ask the question. Maybe you didn't understand what I meant. No, neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down into the ground in reverence, because he realizes exactly who he's talking to, and asked him, what message does my Lord have for a servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Um, Okay. This is an interesting little interchange before the sequence of uh, the battle and the conflict begin. Joshua encounters God and asks him an interesting question. He says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Now, Joshua is asking this question because he's wanting to figure out who this is as part of his identifying the guy. And also, not for nothing, but at this time, um, not necessarily a guarantee every person that you run into with a sword is for you. I find it interesting that he just kind of asked the question, because if he was a guy who was against him, is he going to say it? You know? (laughs) Hey, you got a sword. Are are you for me or against me? Oh, I'm for you. No problem. He slits his throat or something like that. These are the things I imagine as I read the Bible. But the truth is he's kind of figuring out who this is. 
But he asks an interesting question. And God has the author put this question right at the top of this story for a reason, right? So this is called reading the Bible literarily, right? So because it's a piece of literature. And so we're reading it for what it's a story. And there's something placed right here at the very top of the story. And it's the question. And it's the question, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, what's so interesting about this, Joshua doesn't know it, but he's asking the wrong question. Joshua's asking the wrong question. Is God's faithfulness to Israel in question at this point? (laughs) No, if you've been reading the story all the way through, from Genesis 1 all the way to Joshua 5.12, right before the story starts, I think you would share the view that many people share as they're reading through the Old Testament. It's like, oh my word, are these people going to get it together or not? Because God continues to be merciful, continues to be merciful, right? Remember when they made a golden calf? (laughs) And God was like, okay, that's it. And Moses is like, okay, hold on. What's everybody going to say about you if you destroy your people? And God's like, okay, I will be patient once again. I will be patient once again. A lot of you read on Facebook about a moment I had like this with my son in Walmart this past week. (laughs) I had to have mercy. My son's riding the big car, big part of the cart, right? We're going through Walmart. And just randomly, he decides that it's time to take his Carhartt hat off and throw it as far as he can in the, in the sky. Landing, I'm thinking it's going to land in someone's cart. Like we're in a major section here. Well, it just lands in front of two people's carts. All these people start laughing. Lincoln's laughing. I'm not laughing. <laughs> I pick up the hat and, you know, gesture to the people and move on. And he looks at me and says, that was very funny. It's my two-year-old son. That was very funny. I said, I told you to keep your hat on. That was not very funny. And he waits for a moment, and then he says, it was a little funny. (laughs) And I had a choice. And by God's grace, I think I made the right one. I just chose to laugh and move on, right? But how many times has God, like, oh, they made a golden cap. Oh, they did this. Oh, they did that. And God is patient and patient and patient. Is God's faithfulness to the Israelites in question at this point? Is their faithfulness to him in question? Oh, you bet it is. That's why it's the wrong question. And so for the rest of the story, here's going to be the question that plays out. Are they going to be faithful to him? Are the Israelites going to be faithful to their faithful God? Are they going to? Because they're going to encounter an enemy and they're going to get into a battle and God's going to give them orders. Are they going to fulfill them? That's the question. And so now we continue reading uh, in our second section called the battle plan. And if you'll see it in your notes, I got a little dot, dot, dot with a question mark. So hear it more like this. The battle plan? Because it's kind of, you'll see. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. We'll talk about that in a minute. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. 
On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Okay, there's the plan. Can we admit something here between the two of us? It's a little weird. Isn't it? Okay. God, the commander of the army of the Lord, so therefore the commander of the Israelite army, says, okay, folks, here's what we're going to do. Going up to conquer Jericho. I need you to walk silently around the city one time and then go home. Oh, yeah. They won't even know what hit them. They won't even know what hit them. That sounds less like a battle plan and more like a flash mob. <laughs> like, you imagine being the, if you're, like, if you're like one of the watchmen for Jericho on top of the wall and this is happening, you're like, what's going on? I don't know, but they're walking around the city for like three days. They're just taking a walk, right? You get done with walking the third day, you're on your way home, you're just like, oh, Jericho, I'm watching you. <laughs> We'll be back tomorrow where we're going to do some more walking. <laughs> That's weird. That's a little weird. Why that? Why seven times? Okay, so seven is a number of symbolism in the Old Testament and the Bible all over the place, really, symbolizing frequently completion, right, up to the utmost, like that kind of thing. And God has said that, you know, the sin has reached, the sin of the Canaanites has reached its completion, you know, so there's some things in there. But ultimately, I think really, this comes down to, <laughs> I'm going to tell them to walk around the city walls six times, and then on the seventh, time, seventh day, seven more times, and I'm going to see if they do it. And then the city walls will fall down. Okay, city walls at this time, uh, how Big. Big. Okay, this, this, is not like, this is not like a wall in your house. This is a huge wall. These walls, not unusual for them to be 8, 9, 10, 12, 15 feet thick kinds of walls. Very tall, very thick. Fortified. You're not knocking them down with really a lot of things. And if you're saying the walls are going to come down, here's one thing that's interesting if they actually succeed in being faithful to God and doing what he tells them to do here, and God keeps up, keeps up his end of the bargain, the walls are going to come down and they're going to know something. What are they going to know? They're going to know they didn't do it. That's what they're going to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can knock down city walls just by walking around them. No. Only God does that. So he has them march around the city silently for a long time. I think the question is here, are they going to do this? Are they going to do this strange thing? And how long are they going to keep up with it? Um, I, I think there's some of this in our lives too, right? Can we just say that sometimes in our Christian lives, there's an awful lot of sheer obedience before the walls ever come down? In whatever battle you may be talking about, in whatever you are seeking in your life, whatever it is that you're seeking the Lord for, whatever it is that you're praying for, whatever it is that you are waiting for, sometimes you're just kind of doing it God's way for an extended period of time, and you're thinking, are these walls ever going to come down? 
I'm being faithful to the Lord and trying to do it the right way over and over and over again. It could be anything, right? It could be a family member who can't or won't love you back, yet you know that God has told you your job is to love them. And so you do. And what you get from them is work or difficulty. Certainly not appreciation over and over and over and over again. It's like, man, is this person's heart ever gonna be melted? Uh, what, why am I even doing this over and over and over again, loving the difficult person in my family, in my life? Maybe I'm the difficult person in my life, but still, like, there are people in my life who are more difficult to love. And yet God has told me I need to love them all. Doing it his way, sometimes for a long period of time, can feel like taking a walk around a city and nothing else is happening. What about praying for someone's salvation? You know, praying for somebody's salvation for a long period of time, and I keep praying that they would turn to Jesus over and over and over again. I continue to pray and continue to pray, and they continue to get more and more hard-hearted, more and more obstinate. I don't know what's going on here. I'm not even sure why I continue to pray, and yet we're called to pray for these kinds of things over and over again. It's like, man, how long until the walls come down? And this is the thing I just want to say. This is kind of on the side of today's message. This is not the main thing of today's message, but I know that there are some people in this room for whom God needs to deliver this encouragement, okay? Don't stop on the sixth time around. There's some of you in this room, I know you've been obeying God for a long period of time and the payoff has been minimal if you're honest. You're just still, you're still doing it God's way. You're still doing it God's way every day and it's just kind of harder. There are some days where it's kind of monotonous or some days where it's kind of difficult. Whatever it may be, you're still doing it God's way over a long period of time and you're waiting to see something happen and those things haven't exactly come forward yet. Maybe you're somebody who is single and you're waiting for that companionship that you see other people have and yet you decide I'm still gonna do singleness God's way over a long period of time. I'm telling you, don't stop on the sixth time around. I'm not saying God's best for you is right around the corner. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Faithfulness to God is never wasted. It's never wasted. Even if the thing that I have my eyes on never comes to fruition, even if the walls never come down, because God didn't necessarily promise me that all the walls would come down in my life. Faithfulness to God is never wasted. If that's you today, keep on trucking. Don't stop on the sixth time around. So here's the question, are they gonna do this weird thing? <laughs> Sometimes obeying God is a little weird. Okay, walk around a bunch of times in a row. Yep, okay. Are they going to do it? Let's read verse six. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Okay, so far so good. Everybody say, so far so good. All right, great. When Joshua, verse eight, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. 
So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Okay. Everybody say, so far, so good. All right, we're tracking. Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Everybody say, so far, so good. Okay. Six days in, they're still with it. Imagine if you're one of those people and it's like day five. You're thinking, this is a big city to walk around, man. Like, I'm getting sore. At what point in time is this going to happen? Faithfulness is never wasted. Verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, you see the repetition of the number seven? The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Okay. Well, so far we're good. But the battle hasn't started yet. Right? Right? When the battle starts, we're going to see if we're, still, if we're still good. So here's part three, okay? Part three, I'm calling the judgment. Okay, so we start off with the question, which was the wrong one. Is God going to be faithful to them? Is he on their side? And God's like, I want to know if you're on my side or not, right? Then the battle plan, it's a little strange, but, you know, faithfulness is never wasted. So we do what God tells us to do. And here we go. Here's the judgment. That might sound like it's coming out of nowhere, uh, but you're going to see why it's called that here in just one moment as we read the first part of verse 17. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Okay, skip to verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles and bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Okay, so there's a key word in there, and it's repeated a couple of different times. The word is devoted, okay? If you got a anointed copy of God's word and not a phone copy of God's word, you can highlight it with your pen or pencil right now, that word devoted. I'm just kidding. If you got it on your phone, you can tap it, and I think you can highlight it that way. The word devoted. This is a really difficult word in this story. And this is why I want to sit here for just a couple of minutes as we're going through it. Because we need to grapple with its difficult nature. The word here devoted, translated devoted, or devoted is, is the Hebrew word cherem. And in Greek, the word is anathema. I mean, you've heard this word before. But the word means to be set aside, banned, and set to utter destruction unto the Lord. It's a very specific word, okay? Uh, it's, it's not got a lot of other uses outside of that. And, and if you just imagine for a moment what he has just told the army to do. When the walls come down, now 
Thank you for marching around the city. Good job. Now the walls are going down, so we're going to go in and take the city. And here's the thing. We're not taking prisoners. Everything devoted unto destruction. All of it. And the plunder goes to the Lord. Do not keep anything for yourself. That's a difficult one, I think, to do. You got to remember that this is a true story, okay? True stories include real people. So you and I, we're people, and and I hear a command like that, and and then I realize what is at stake here. Uh, Look at verse 21. They, they did this. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed it with the sword. Every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Just got to say it because, again, it's a difficult thing to swallow. This includes kids. This is the whole thing. Okay. God is holy, and he takes his holiness seriously, and so should we. This is happening because he has chosen to use the Israelite army as his instrument of judgment upon the people in Jericho. Now, there are some people, you may read the Bible, and you kind of skip over parts like this. We're not skipping over it. We're looking at it straight on, and we're saying, here's the deal. We serve a God who is real, he exists, and he is holy, and he takes his holiness seriously to the extent that apparently he had decided that the sin of this city had extended so far and gone so deep that it was time for them to be ended. And here are the things that we have to swallow, right? There are some things that we have to swallow and understand even if we don't understand them. We have to say, okay, Lord. I'm going to surrender this one to you because you are an authority over me. You are the one who decides over me. And maybe your, your definition and your concept of what is just is just a little bit more developed than mine is. I need to surrender it that way because sometimes in life, as we grow in faith, there are difficult truths to learn and difficult truths to hang on to as a Christian. Difficult truths to learn and difficult truths to hang on to as a Christian. There's some stuff in here that I, quite frankly, would rather was not in here. And if you're not willing to say that honestly, then you're not speaking honestly about the Bible. Because there's some difficult stuff in here, like this one. This one, I'm being honest with you, this one is hard for me right here. But it's there and it's God's word and he's God and I'm not. Right, So this also extends into our life, not just when being faithful to God is a little like weird. I do some weird stuff, you know, like there are some things that I do as a Christian that the rest of the world thinks is weird, right? I don't swear and I don't drink. Well, that alone makes me weird. Maybe you're going to school and you're like, no, listen, I, 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 don't, I don't mess around with girlfriends and boyfriends. I don't hook up. I don't do those things because I'm doing it God's way. You're going to be weird, Right? Sometimes that's the case. But other times, being faithful to God is actually truly difficult. Like when you have to hold a difficult truth and preach and proclaim a difficult truth while holding on to love at the same time when you know this is going to be wildly unpopular. 
Like when we say this, that homosexuality is a sin. To practice that is a sin. However, I am also saying in the same breath that this church should be the safest place for anyone struggling with that. Because God loves you. But that's not easy to say. Those are difficult things to say and proclaim. Marriage is between one man and one woman. There are two genders. All of these things are difficult things to say, but we say them with love. And holding on to truth and holding on to love at the same time is an example of something that is hard for us to do, yet we're called to do it. And if I can't say something true without saying it lovingly, I should not be talking. But faithfulness to God is what I need to be faithful to God. He's faithful to me, and so I need to be faithful to him. I do the difficult things that God tells me to do. I hold difficult truths as I try to live a life of faithfulness to him because he's been so faithful to me. Well, so far we're so good in this story. The Israelites have done everything that they needed to do. So let's continue reading and let's go on to our last section here in section number four. This is called the victory and the failure. I know I'm giving you some foreshadowing. Probably not a galloping shock that there was gonna be a little bit of failure involved here, but there is. I want you to look at verse 24, chapter six. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and, uh, bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Go to verse 26. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. He's saying it's going to go down and it's going down forever. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. And everybody lived happily ever after. Nope. Because we added chapters and verses later. The story doesn't end in chapter 6. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. But the Israelites were, what's that word? Unfaithful. In regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Oh, gosh. We were so close. It was just about march around the city six times, okay, then on the seventh day do it seven times, we're there, we're going to, okay, devote everything to destruction. I think that's the hard part, but this is what they do. Kill everything, do all the stuff that they're going to do, and then, hey, just don't take any of the stuff for yourself. And Achan, it's a good little phrase in life for something that goes wrong and it wasn't directly your fault. You're like, come on, Achan. Man. Oh, but it was bound to happen. It was bound to happen. And if you're listening to me right now, if you're listening to me right now and the predominant thought in your head is, man, they should have been faithful to God. We need to be faithful to God. And I'm going to walk out of this church more intent on being faithful to God. If that is the thought in your head right now, then you have fallen into my sermon trap. 
Because here's where the real deal is. Yes, God is more faithful than we can possibly imagine. Yes, he deserves faithfulness to the utmost. But I can't do it. And neither can you. We can't. I can't live that kind of life. Not by myself. There's absolutely no way. What kind of faithfulness does God deserve? (laughs) He deserves perfect faithfulness. He is a good God, a holy God, and deserves perfect faithfulness. In fact, Scripture says, that's the only way I can get to heaven. Did you know this? This is what God says. The only way I gain entrance into heaven is to have demonstrated perfect faithfulness. Perfect faithfulness unto God. Moment of collective honesty. How many of us have demonstrated that? Okay, how many of us have not demonstrated that decisively? We can't be perfectly faithful to God, but there is one who was. Let's go to the New Testament for just a minute. Let's go to Romans 5. Romans 5.18, this is how Paul says it, and this is the reminder I want to give you today of the faithfulness that I give to God, my imperfect, inconsistent faithfulness, where even that comes from is from this, verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, who's the one man? Adam. The many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, who's that one man? Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The battle of Jericho teaches us a lesson that is taught over and over and over again in the Old Testament. If you go to the next book in the book of Judges, the book of Judges is just a big circle over and over again where the people cry out to the Lord and the Lord brings deliverance to them and then they do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord and then he puts them under oppression and then they call out to the Lord and then he delivers them. And then, why? Because I can't be faithful the way that God demands faithfulness, and so I have to trust in Jesus and his faithfulness to stand up as my own. That doesn't let me off the hook, by the way. I still need to obey God, but here's the reality. This is what I want to give you today as your reminder, not only that God is incredibly faithful to you, but I want to tell you this. Faithfulness to God is faith in God. Okay? For you and me, this is what it comes down to, right? This is what it comes down to. Not that it doesn't matter what I do. It matters what I do very much. But we're talking about the kind of faithfulness that gets me into heaven. The kind of faithfulness that gets me with him forever. That kind of faithfulness is this. Faithfulness 
to God is faith in God. I have faith in him and what he's going to do. So when he tells me to march around the city six times, I'm trusting that the walls will actually come down because he's the one doing the work. So when he tells me, all you need to do is believe, believe in me, make me your Lord and Savior and you will be saved. That's what I do and trust that at the end of it all, at the end of my life, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to end up saved. I am saved and I'm going to end up saved. How confident are you that you're going to heaven? It's really good that that confidence doesn't come from your own faithfulness and your own record. Am I right about that? That kind of confidence comes from Jesus' record. And Jesus was perfect for you and for me. Jesus succeeded where Israel failed and he succeeded where you and I fail over and over and over again to deliver that kind of salvation for you and me. How faithful is God? God is so faithful. He's so faithful that he's faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. This isn't just a New Testament concept either. Go back to Joshua. I skipped some verses. Did you notice? Look at verse 17 again. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only... Rahab, the, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Okay, before all this stuff happened with Joshua, before he encountered the commander of the army of the Lord, they sent spies over. A couple of guys end up at Rahab's house and she hides them from her own people. Why? Because she believed... What was told her, and what was told her is, if you do this for us, then everybody in your home will be saved. She believed. That's what Rahab did. She believed it. And because of her faith, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Look at verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. Interesting that it names that again. With her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Did God prove faithful to Rahab? Yeah, because she believed. Faithfulness to God is faith in God. One more thing I want to show you before I wrap up. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Right at the beginning of the New Testament, right at the beginning of this account of the life of Jesus, we have this in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, really quick. Genealogies at this time were used, it's kind of the, the best comparison that we have is like a resume. It's used like a resume. Why? To argue for the legitimate kingship and messiahship of this person. And so, if you are going to have a genealogy stand as a resume for you at this time, you're going to make sure it includes what? Impressive names. What do you do with your resume? What kind of references do you include? You include the ones that are going to give you a good reference. True? 
ones are going to make you look good. Well, I know this person. Ooh, that resume stands out. This genealogy works exactly the same way. So let's look and see who's in it. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Okay, cool. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. That's a fun name to say. Aminadab, the father of Nashan. Nahashan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was... Wait a minute. How did a prostitute get into Jesus' resume? Because this is how faithful God is. He's so faithful that he's faithful even in the face of my unfaithfulness to him. A woman who had lived her whole life unfaithful to him is told something by God and she believes him one time and she's in the genealogy. Faithfulness to God is faith in God. So I'm telling you, you need to have faith in God. You need to believe what he tells you when he says, I am the only way, right? When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, you better believe him. And if you haven't given your life to him yet, you should do that today because it is absolutely the truth. Because when you do, you show faith in God, then Jesus' record of perfect faithfulness is yours forever. Just like it is for Rahab. And she had a very imperfect record. Do you have an imperfect record? I have an imperfect record, but that's what it is. That's how incredibly, unimaginably faithful God is to you and to me. He provided a savior when we didn't deserve anything other than judgment. We're like Achan. We can't keep our hands off the goods. And yet Jesus comes along and says, my record stands in front for your record. God is more faithful than we can possibly imagine. I'm going to ask Matt to come back up. You bring the team with you. I'm going to ask the team to come back up with Matt. And we're going to sing a song about We're going to sing a song about God's faithfulness. I want you to stand with us right now. <laughs> While the band gets settled and starts playing their song, I want to tell you this. What does it take for me to question God's faithfulness to me? I told you embarrassingly little. Because <laughs> in all earnestness to remember exactly how faithful God is. All I need to do is to look at the cross. That's all I need to do. And there I understand the words that Paul said in Romans chapter 8 when he said, for I have been convinced and nothing can separate me from the love of God. How does he know? Why? The cross. That's how he knows. He says, my God went that far for me, even though I was totally unfaithful to him. And if he didn't abandon me then, there's no way he's going to abandon me now. 
You can do that all through the Bible, by the way. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. This is more faithful than you can possibly imagine. Faithful to you, as he always has been. That has never been in question. And so when you face times where you're questioning it, know that he will be faithful, will prove himself to be faithful. He always has been and he always will be. And so he calls us to have faith in him, to have faith in his strength that will be there. And as we do, he gives the strength necessary for us to return that faithfulness. That's where faithfulness comes from. Faithfulness to God is faith in God. Believe him. Believe what he tells you. And he return, and he in return supplies the strength you need for everything that you're going to face in life, every battle. If you've got to keep walking around the wall four more times before they fall down, that strength comes from him. He is faithful. He will be faithful to make you faithful.